Hi everyone, and welcome to Vocal Arts, the podcast that explores the world of professional voice artists. My name is Peter Barber, and I'll be your guide along this path of vocal performance. What's that? (laughs) Oh, why am I qualified to host this show? Well, for starters, I got my master's degree in, you guessed it, vocal arts and performance from the University of Southern California. I trained one-on-one with world-class singers and learned all about the physiology and function of the human voice from leading voice scientists. Beyond that, I currently sing opera professionally as a resident artist at the Academy of Vocal Arts. Since quarantine started, I began producing my own a cappella music, from arranging to recording, mixing, and mastering. I've performed in basically every genre from EDM to chamber choir, and with an undergrad major in audio engineering, I can comfortably bridge the gap between live performance and studio recordings. From the grandiose space of a 3,000-seat opera house to the intimate, soundproof booths used in voiceover. But perhaps most importantly, I'm just a young artist, fascinated by the various careers in vocal performance and inspired to learn more about them from the best and brightest vocal talent the world has to offer. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. And no matter what your involvement is within the world of vocal arts, I hope that here on this podcast, you can both learn something and enjoy. Today's guest is Brian Hemel. Brian Hemel is a professional opera singer, a father, and serves on the board of directors at the Academy of Vocal Arts in Philadelphia. Praised by the New York Times for his unflagging stamina and impetuous abandon during his 2012 Metropolitan Opera debut as Enea in Les Troyens, Brian Hemo went on to be awarded the Metropolitan Opera's Beverly Sills Artist Award for his achievements in the production. He is also the winner of the 2013 Olivier Award for Outstanding Achievement in Opera for his trio of performances in Les Troyens, Robert le Diable, and Rusalka, at London's Royal Opera House. An exclusive recording artist for Warner Classics, his first solo album, Heroic, earned Himmel the coveted George Thill Prize by the Académie Nationale de Disques Lyriques and the Newcomer of the Year Award from Echo Classic. Additional recordings include La Dame Nation de Faust with Simon Rattle and the London Symphony Orchestra, Robert le Diable with Daniel Orend and the Opera di Salerno, as well as DVD recordings of Carmen, Les Troyens, Robert, Le Diable, and Les Vespres Siciliennes, all from the Royal Opera House in London. Brian and I talked about the realities of a career as an opera singer, starting a family as an opera singer, the psychological challenges of the business, vocal technique, and much more. Please welcome Brian Himmel. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Brian. It's a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm glad we get some one-on-one time. I always see you in the AVA meetings. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, buddy, absolutely. So for the people who don't know who you are, um, how about you give a quick rundown about what you do for a living, what your career sure. is? So um, Brian Email, uh, I'm from New Orleans, uh, went to undergrad there, studied opera in um, at Loyola University, uh, finished there in 2001 sang around for a while regionally, and then decided I need to go back to school uh, to get my technique and my languages in particular uh, in order. So I met Bill Schumann, studied with him in New York in preparation for auditioning for ABA, Academy of Vocal Arts, which is where I started in 2005, was there to 2008, and then started my career kind of in earnest uh, there. yeah 2008 and so since then i've been singing around the world um all kinds of different places having a lot of fun and um so it's nice and then recently in the past three years i've come back to ava um as vice president of global and artistic outreach which just means that you know i'm I'm out there as an ambassador for ava uh in the opera world around um having cultivation events talking about kind of spreading the good news of ABA uh, around there and, and working with some of the resident artists and kind of giving a 
honest and unfiltered perspective on what this life is really like. Because there's just a lot of things that I wish I had known while I was there. Not that it would have changed my mind, just would have prepared me a bit better. Or, you know, maybe I would have started trying to include some of those tools in my toolbox um, so that when situations kind of presented themselves in the real world, I just was, I just, you know, already had the tools and how to use them uh, most effectively and efficiently. So great, yeah. great, great. Thank you for that. We'll definitely get into sure. a lot of those things. So I've been asking around um, to see, you know, what kinds of things people want to hear. And one big one is definitely about having a family life in the Apple world. So we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that sure. one a, a bit later. Um, I'm interested how you actually first came to be interested in opera, what what set you down that path? Was it a moment? Was it a gradual progression? What yeah, was it? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I went to an arts high school for piano, for classical piano, um, but being in New Orleans, uh, there's a lot of jazz. Um, this is a New Orleans Center for Creative Arts that was started by um, Ellis Marsalis and another musician uh in 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 new orleans just just for that it's actually a public school um and it's really been uh, kind of a pride and joy of the city of new orleans and so really fortunate to be, have been able to go half days uh there for my junior and senior year while i was at a jesuit high school um for the mornings and there for the afternoons so i got a really great i mean amazingly great quite frankly i didn't realize how lucky i was at the time well-rounded education um, in so many different ways. So I was around vocal music and I sang, I sang in boy choirs. We had a, again, a school um, that was attached to our church that um, singing for masses and all that kind of stuff that we uh, just had great teachers. And I think that that is probably the biggest, you know, variable in, because talent is out there. I mean, the talent and those no bounds and, you know, nobody has a copyright on, on, on that. I think it's just the opportunity to kind of explore it. And when you have a school that values the arts educational aspect and they get teachers um, who are really passionate about what they're doing. Um, I mean, from my grammar school class, I know of everybody who was in choir and band and stuff like that from from that there's at least six or seven music teachers music therapy music education uh, a couple of performance majors all kinds of stuff and really if we were not in that you know at that very influential age um exposed and having the opportunity to sing in choirs and play in band and things like that we we wouldn't have been able to do it but as far as opera i mean i i wanted to be a jazz trumpet player i still do on the level that i would need to in order to provide for my family, but, um, that's a different animal I, from opera for sure. <laughs> I just, is my style. I like staying up late, being in nightclubs, doing 11 o'clock set and a, and a one o'clock set, you know what I mean? All right. Yeah. Uh, but that's also not very conducive to a family. So I'm, I'm glad that I, that I went down the path that I did. I, I remembered I was doing musical theater and, uh, my voice always kind of sounded, um, operatic even for like high school when I was in high school and by that I mean it wasn't sound like it sounds now it just sounded fuller and it was just kind of a meatier voice than what most um high schoolers have and so uh we were doing I think a funny thing happened a little way of the forum and I was singing one of the the supporting protean roles and uh, there was this one part that had like a high a in it and nobody could hit it and I was just like I don't know I can kind of scream it out and they're and they're like, all right, well, let's hear it. And so I did it, and they're like, oh yeah, you, you, that's you. You're going to do that. <laughs> and so at that point, I started to realize I had a different voice that was not my choir or church singing voice. It was, of course, completely uh, manufactured. It was not really healthy in any way, but it was impressive. Um, and I think that a lot of opera singers find out that they can make those kinds of sounds by either imitating or whatever. I mean, certainly, I was aware of uh, the three tenors and my my mom's parents, especially her father, used to like to listen to Mario Lanza and uh, and all these kind of guys. So it was it was around, but I was so focused on trumpet. And when I got my braces off and I couldn't like I'd struggled to play through having my braces on. And then when I got them off, I just like I cannot relearn to play the trumpet again for the third time. And so I kind of gave that up. And that's when I focused on piano. That's when I went to arts high school for piano. When it came time to audition for university for scholarships and stuff like that, I got a couple of voice lessons, kind of the first voice lessons I'd ever had in my life. So I was a senior and uh, we did, you know, the 
24 Italian songs and arias in the in the medium high key because I thought it was like a baritone, although I couldn't sing very low. I couldn't actually sing very high either in that voice because it just wasn't supported. It wasn't connected. So once I started working um, with that teacher, Drew Montague, uh, that's when the idea of supporting fully, like if I supported in a choir, I mean, in a choir, when I was singing choir anyway, they were like, Brian, you got to calm it down here because you got to blend. And so I was like, I'm just singing. I don't know what to tell you. So that kind of set me down a path of like, just not using my body. Um, but when I found this, the only way I could make that quote, quote, operatic sound was by taking a big breath and going. And so, so when I, I remember I had a voice lesson with a guy and we did the whole lesson at the end. I was like, listen, I got something I've, I've been playing around with. Um, and I just want to show you what this is. And so I sang from a like middle C to a high C and um, he was like, uh, yeah, I think we need to, we need to explore this for sure. <laughs> so that sent me down the path of auditioning for universities um, in opera, as well as in piano. Um, and, you know, I got scholarships for, for piano as well, but the places I auditioned, I listen, you, you owe it to yourself to um, explore your voice, to have some real lessons, uh, you know, and that focus on technique um, so that you can see which, which you, which you can do with this and what your voice can do. And once, you know, a year after that, uh, my freshman year, I, I really took, I mean, I, I still am really fascinated by the the technical aspect and the mechanics and and then having to repeat it and have to keep doing it. I mean, it's the it's the blessing and the curse of of only being as good as your last performance is that you've got to get to that standard. But then once you get there, you've got to keep it up across different repertoire and languages and all kinds of stuff. Um, thankfully, though, I, I, I do. I did really uh, enjoy that aspect of it. And I still do. I noticed I was reading in your bio um, and I noticed you did you've done a bunch of competitions and you've done really well in competitions. And I noticed you sure. did really well in a Verdi competition at 19 or 20. And I, was, yeah. and I was wondering if you, if, if doing well in that competition, you were still kind of using this manufactured sound or if you had really unlocked some good potential already by age 19. No, I mean, yeah, I started, I started unlocking this. Okay. So the Verdi competition would have been after in, in, in Aspen at the summer music festival after my first year of, of undergrad. So I had a full year of studying and certainly I made progress. I mean, I started to understand what support feels like. Uh, that being said, my voice just was really strong and really natural. Um, and so I think I won that competition just on talent and, and novelty of youth. You know what I mean? It just was like, here's just a really talented uh, kid. And I mean, I sang a lot on the mobile. It's not like I sang Celeste Aida. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> which is still, which is still tricky. I mean, I remember one of the one of the teachers, who's one of the judges, was like, "Wow, well, you know, you know, bravo to you. That was really great." And I was like, "It's kind of an easy aria." He's like, "Well, not if you don't have a high B. It's not." I was like, "Oh, that's true." Yeah, I, yeah. I had that issue. Um, I had other issues. Uh, still do, quite frankly. But I just have the toolbox. You know, I've got a. Uh, I got a four drawer toolbox now when it comes to singing. If something goes off track, I know which drawer to go to. And if one tool doesn't work, I put it back and I use another tool. Um, and I, I love that aspect um, of doing this. Yeah, I mean, I had, uh, competitions are a tricky thing, right? I mean, I can tell you right now, I'm, I'm not for competitions, vocal competitions. Um, I know that they're useful for winning money. I think, uh, and that's always helpful when you're a winner, but I'll, what about all the people that, um, it's detrimental to, you know, they get half-baked um, uh, comments from judges who, in my opinion, a lot of times shouldn't even be judging, uh, much less addressing um, vocal issues. If you're not a teacher or a singer, I, I'm, I'm not going to give much credit to what you're saying. I mean, coaches, I understand the ear. They might know what's, what, what's, they hear something that's not great. Even really well accomplished, um, you know, uh, patrons and, and lovers of opera, they'll know if the vibrato is off or if the pitch is flat or whatever. Well, that's all fine and good. Um, but if you don't know why it's happening and you don't know how to fix it, um, I don't think you have a lot of place in. Um, it's like armchair quarterbacking in my in my in my in my perspective. Uh, but I, I will say that yes. So I, I won that very competition. 
Um, and then two years later, I was a finalist met. So in 2000, so I was, I was 20, um, you know, pretty young at the time to be, uh, going all the way there. And yeah. I remember sitting in the dressing room, which actually has been a dressing room. I spent a lot of time in since then, but, uh, and thinking I just shouldn't be here. I don't know. I'm not ready for this. I'm a very good judge of, of what I can do and what I can't do. Um, and very objective. So I've always been like that, even as a child. Like I just was like, um, I'm not going to try that bunny hop on my bike because I'm too big. And if I fall, it's going to hurt. And, you know, <laughs> and that's just kind of carried into my my musical stuff. And I just knew and, I, and it got into my head and the nerves got to me and my support went because I was always getting I was always getting um, comments, uh, criticisms that it just was too much pressure. I was working too hard. And the way that I kind of pendulum swung between that supporting and the only way I knew how to support at that time and um, and taking it easy was to kind of not really engage the support kind of, but not really. And so for me, and because my throat was still is incredibly strong, it's just not as resilient as it used to be at 41 as it was at 31, much less 21. You know, so I guess the point being is that when I was young, the novelty of my talent uh, was got me got me a lot of those prizes. The ones that I got when I was leaving AVA in two thousand seven and eight, those were well earned. In in my, I mean, if I may say so. By then, I had learned a lot more about um, technique and my voice, uh, and through working with Bill, who is a wonderful teacher, but also I think specifically for tenors because that's his voice type and he demonstrates for us a lot. Um, you know, Bill could explain things for five minutes. Not that he does, but he could. But if he just demonstrated it for me, I was like, ah, got it. My sympathetic vibration of what's going on there um, is, is, is telling me intuitively what um, I don't need the words for. Now, I actually, funny enough, when I do work with singers now, I end, I end, I end up speaking and explaining things more than, um, than demonstrating. Because sometimes within that demonstration, uh, a singer might be focusing on only one aspect as opposed to the aspect that I'm trying to get them to do. So rather than do that, I try and, and, and explain it in three different ways until I hear them demonstrating their own singing and knowing why and how they're doing it. Then I know. And I will still demonstrate from here to there. And I'll mainly be like, you know, you're doing this, you know, ah, you get tight there. What I'm trying to get you to do is, ah, not get tight there, just keep it loose. Keep the air flowing through there. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so I mean, the competitions were really great. The, the money came at a time where it was really necessary and really helpful for me. Um, there were other singers who, you know, had kind of had an easy, an easy ride. Um, because after the Met auditions, when I was 20, so in 2000, in those years between 2000 and 2005, when I started ABA, I was not even making it to the finals of things like the George London and um and some of these other competitions um and i was like how i mean the george london's called me to ask me to come and i sang what i thought was pretty well at least well enough to make it to the next round and i didn't get it mm. and i was like hmm, what was going on here something i don't think that these people don't like me i think they just think that i didn't sing well enough to get to the next round uh, and so that was kind of part of the, the evolution of me leaving my first teacher, um, Philip Fronmeyer, who was at uh, Loyola in New Orleans. Unfortunately, he's since passed. But um, we uh, I was super duper loyal. I mean, that guy never charged me for a lesson, um, would give me three lessons a week. Sometimes he just was a real educator and just had a real love. Uh, of of singers and 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 teaching singers and was my first mentor um, and so uh, it was very hard for me to leave him but at the same time I felt like well this is my voice it's my career I have to make this uh, um, decision for myself and and so I did and so I went to Galitha Nichols who was in charge of the Met competition at the time. Um, helped me go to Steve Smith, who was at Juilliard at the time. And I don't know if he was still teaching in Houston Grand, Grand Opera, but definitely was teaching some of the kids in the Lindemann program and at Juilliard full time. 
worked with him for two years. I learned a lot from him, but my singing did not really improve. I learned a lot mm -hmm. from a from a kind of principle tech, you know, principles of technique place. Um, but I do think that it's a it's a teacher's job to kind of shepherd you into the to the right field to find and create and, and figure out what that coordination is going to feel like um, in your body and in your throat, because that's, that's the tricky part, right? We've all heard, well, just, just don't push, just sing more easily. Just don't do that. Well, guys, if that was, if it was as easy as that, everybody would sing like Caruso and Kalas and Tabaldi. Yeah. And they, yeah. Mine, I mean, I remember it clear as day when I went and sang, it was Questo Quella and maybe, Romeo, I love it so like for um, the Met for like some education funds to go and study in Italy. And they said, uh, we're going to give you the money, but if you keep singing like this, you're going to be a counter, like a Compromario tenor. And I was like, and they're like, and we know that's not your voice. We heard it. We know the, 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 the fullness and the kind of stuff, but it was like, <laughs> but since my speaking voice is kind of already so much like that, once you amplify it with the support, it's just like, <laughs> ah. not, it's not a leading tenor sound. Um, and so I had to learn how to let things kind of manifest themselves in a much more organic, natural, relaxed way. Although I thought it was pretty relaxed and compared to like how manufactured and pressured it was, it was more easy, but it still wasn't easy enough. Yeah. Long story short, um, you know, Phil was really forward. Uh, Steve Smith was kind of more at backspace, domey, hoo-hoo, covery. Uh, and Bill Schumann was right smack in the middle. You know, I got to Bill at the exact right time. Uh, and he let me sing on my instinct for like a good six months, just, you know, in preparation for the ABA uh, audition. And then once I got there, he just kind of... Like he said, he's like, I just let you run wild. And then I would rein you in little by little because a voice like yours, if you try to box it up, it's just not, it's just going to shut down. And that's exactly what had happened <clears throat> to my voice. And so to know that he has done this for so many tenors and shepherded them through the career and having had Marcello Giordani as a student of his for a while, a lot of the repertoire that I have sung and will sing, Marcello sang. And so Bill knows it backwards and forwards. Um, and so he's just been, uh, you know, a godsend uh, yeah, he's, he's the best. And he's also like a guru. Like, you know, I yeah. never sing as well as I do when I'm, when he's in the room. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah let's, let's talk a little bit about technique. So sure. I'm a, I'm an ambassador and a mentor in a group called bass singing nation. And it's about a thousand, right. it's about a thousand young singers. A lot of them are basses, uh, a lot cool. of high school, high school age. And Right. A number of them are interested in opera. A number of them are interested in other kinds of singing, but a lot of bass singing. And so I, you know, I help guide them with the technique and things like that. And I'm sure they're going to be a decent chunk of the listeners, at least at the start of this podcast. So let's let's talk a little bit of shop. You've talked a lot about sure. being connected and supporting. And what does that mean to you? And what does it feel like when you're doing that properly? OK, well, let me let me let me let me say this. Without, I like to think about technique in the simplest language possible, right? Because I feel like it leaves the least amount of room for misunderstanding. The way that I think about singing is very much influenced by the um, Caruso and Tetrazzini book that, that I know a lot of people at ABA, they encourage people to read it. I've encouraged everybody I work with to read it. My wife encourages everybody that she works to read it. And it's specifically the, the Tetrazzini part, which is maybe only 25 pages. I mean, you can read it in less than a half hour. Um, she's the one who I take the, the, the card from of using the most simple um, explanations because, because, because we can't see the mechanism and we can only hear it. And even at that, unless you're actually in the room with someone, you can't experience it the same way, uh, no matter how good um, the recording um, equipment is. Um, so, so I, I have had, had to come from the place where support, if I, if my throat is relaxed enough and loose enough, then the support is very organic. I don't need to think about crazy, like my solar plexus are here or I'm back breathing or this breathing is one of, if not the most natural thing that we do, we do it all day long, even when we're sleeping just like the heartbeat, it's there. We know how to do it. 
what we don't know how to do, and it's very counterintuitive to have to relax everything possible, except for the cartilage that brings the cords together and stretches them. Everything around it has to be relaxed. And that is just the kind of paradox of how we do this. Because our instinct, if we want to make a loud sound, it's like, hey, what you doing? You know, taking that breath and like tighten up and get like that. Ah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, you can, one can do that depending on how strong the voice is. And I did it for many, many, many years, decades, quite frankly. But it's, it, it just stopped being one as consistent, two as beautiful. Uh, and if I was tired or if I just hadn't slept, which there's a lot, I mean, having kids that you're going to be tired and you're going to have not slept uh, when you're traveling around um, and you're flying on planes and trains and, 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 and Ubers and cabs and, and, and eating out late. And the, the, it, there's just a lot and the mental stress, you know, I'm, it, it's not a secret that I've had, you know, some uh, kind of tough last three or four years. Part of it has been my voice. But my voice, because of my mental state, because I was starting to freak out or like worry too much is a better word about finances and stuff mm. um, and, and having to provide for my kids and wanting to do that and putting the pressure on myself, which allows me to not be able to go to sleep. And that quality of sleep was bad. And then I would end up getting sick. And then and then and then, and then I mean, I've, I've had panic attacks. I've done all of it. I mean, like, really, it's 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 um, it's tough. And I came out of ABA being the most the strongest and most consistent singer of anybody that was there at the time. Um, and so I just and, and for a good eight years of my career, I had no problem. I mean, I made mm -hmm. my name singing the highest, longest, most difficult repertoire that there is for 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 tenors. Um, this bel canto French stuff. I mean, you if you've looked at any of the Meyer beer bass stuff, oh it's my gosh, great, yeah, great hard. Um, and he Meyer beer just wrote like that for every voice type, every single mm -hmm. voice type. Um, and I sang a lot of that stuff, a lot of that stuff in the Guillaume Tell and the Troyen and the Sicilien, all this French grand opera stuff that is just merciless mm -hmm. it's like it's like doing a trapeze on a high wire with no net just because you're so exposed um and that and, and like you know it's funny that this is completely just out of you know random that it happened that we were watching part of um the late troyan hd last night um just kind of spot checking here and there because my kids were so they weren't even born when i did it i don't think they'd ever seen it because i have never watched the whole thing and uh, and so I put something on because we had the Met HD um, app up and we were looking at something else. Um, and, uh, and I was like, damn, like this show just never ends. This role never ends. But when you're in it, your adrenaline is just going. And like, you know, I'm kind of a bull, you know, sometimes a bull in a china shop, but I'm just a bull. You know what I mean? My personality is that my physique is that. And I don't take no from an answer for myself. And so I, I just, I looked at the opportunity to step into the first Troyan in Amsterdam, then the second Troyan in London, and the third one at the Met as like, this is a once in a career type of opportunity. And I'm just telling you, I got three once in a career um, opportunities right there. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for it. And I just, and I did. And thankfully they worked out well, but you know, the, the, the kind of, human um cost mental emotional physical cost of white knuckling it and, and demanding so much of yourself for so long is real um you know and and like when things started to kind of fall apart it was sheer exhaustion and mm -hmm. funny enough i mean this is the kind of thing where where um where our bodies and things things what we need are kind of sometimes against the instinct uh, you know, because what I needed was sleep, but my body wouldn't allow me to sleep because of the anxiety. And so you start this negative loop that just kind of goes whatever and, 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 and your emotions um, and your, your mental state uh, ties a lot into how tense your throat and your body is. I mean, you know, you know when, we, when, when people get choked up because they're emotional, I mean, that term is from somewhere. It's because your throat and all that's in there gets tight. And um, it's just it's just the opposite of the right answer. 
Um, so anyway, getting back to the technique stuff, um, I just think that if my throat is, is, is relaxed enough and loose enough that when I take in the air and I just kind of think about keeping things relaxed, the cords themselves need to be relaxed. Everything around the cords in the throat needs to be relaxed. The only thing that needs to work is that bringing them together and stretching them. And so like, does it know, feel, does it feel like an extension of your natural breathing when you're singing properly? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, there, I was having my, my good buddy, Weston Hurt, we've known each other uh, for like 20 years and he does this under the hood thing, which is having singers on every week about talking about technique. Uh, and one of the things that he and I were talking about is like, are you a, a, a down and out breather or an up and in breather? Um, you know, because some people, especially lower voices, tend to think uh, down and out. And then a lot of top, uh, higher voices tend to think up and in. And I've been taught up and in by almost every teacher uh, that I've worked with. And so when he was telling me, he's like, I've never sung that way. I'm always down and out. And, um, you know, Pavarotti used to say, and he's certainly not the first one to say, like, you know, sitting on the toilet. And uh, Weston looks at me, he's like, you sit on the toilet and you think up and in? How does that work? And I was like... <laughs> I don't know how does down and out work. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, just the point being of this kind of sharing of the things, I, I I really feel like it's a it's a mixture of both. It's the balance. If your throat is too tight, you have no chance, no choice but to push up and in. Um, that being said, if you're thinking down and out, well, sometimes you end up holding your throat like that, and that's also not natural. So, I mean, my my I would say probably more on the down and out side than I do, but I, I let it be as fluid as possible. Now that's, that's easy to say. Um, even for me, I was practicing earlier today and I was like, why am I, why is my throat want to grab on these consonants like M, L's, P's, F's. If you have to do like, what was I trying to do earlier? I was working with a, with a soprano on um, Sempre Libera. And I was trying to demonstrate some of it and not the crazy high part, but just, just part of it, just be like, especially in the middle, because this girl has a really wonderful full voice, but in the middle, she, she just takes it easy. And I was like, people are not going to think you can sing this role if you don't sing in the middle. And if you do sing in the middle, it's going to amplify your top because if you've got that much freedom and space in the throat in the middle, where you just keep it as you go up and all of a sudden it, it, you know, it's like firework up there. You know, but I mean, uh, those two things that I said, keeping the cords loose once that was, that was a huge breakthrough light bulb moment for me that, that, that the cords themselves, the muscle under the cord and the membranes can be flexed. It's like, you can, you can flex your arm by doing this, but you can also flex it by doing that. And that's stretched out is the way that people tend to put core into their voice. Um, and I did that for a long time and most of my career, quite frankly, um, up till this point. But now I have realized that if I let go of it, I get so much more like sizzle and also, you know, chiaroscuro, the, 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 the color of the sound. And once I learned how to do that, my voice like almost doubled in size because before it was so tight that my voice was actually getting smaller over in time. Mm. And so I'd have to push more mm -hmm. air pressure against it in order to, to really hit the climactic um, parts. And I was just like, something's not right here. This is against everything. Every even university teacher in the middle of nowhere says you shouldn't get tight and you shouldn't push. I mean, everybody knows that. <laughs> but then you go and you listen to them sing and be like, you're totally pushing and getting tight. Come on here, guys. <laughs> so there's this like missing couple of links, I think, between um, um, doing that, but really, you know, uh, to answer it now, like I've heard other people like Callas and Chris have read a lot, many times, actually the great singers on great singing book, um, and find it, you know, baffling, but also super interesting. I mean, I think I'm at the point now where I have enough vocal understanding where I can be like, oh, okay. The Corelli chapter, very interesting. I agree with a lot of what he said. The Gedda chapter is a singer who sings completely differently than Corelli. I also agree with a lot of what he says. And I don't just read the tenors. I read, I read everybody. I mean, I've read everybody multiple times at this point. Um, and quite frankly, when I listen to opera um, for enjoyment, um, I listen to like Leonard Warren. I think Leonard Warren is probably one of the best um, uh, modern, quote, quote, modern singers 
people who sang, you know, in the 50s and 60s. Huge Collis fan, huge Tabaldi fan, um, huge Robert Merrill fan. Um, I don't really listen to tenors anymore because I spent so much of my life listening to all of them that mm. I kind of know all of their um their their pros and cons, if you will. My favorite is still Caruso, Gili next, but I can certainly uh, appreciate all the wonderful things about Corelli and Del Monaco and Pavarotti and Geda and Tucker and um, the, the Stefano and Alanya and, you know, all of them, all the way down. Domingo, of course. Domingo's like a god. I mean, if, if there was ever somebody who deserved to be an opera god, it's him. He's done every possible thing you can do in the opera world. And, and well, you know, maybe some better than others, but still... The, 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 I remember I was, I was in a rehearsal with him we're doing Romeo and Juliet at the Met and it was really like moving for me because the, the, the duet in Act 4 was one of the first things I had sung as a freshman um, in opera workshop class and it was his recording with Ruth Van Swenson another ABA alum who I listened to to learn this and to pick up on the French and, and, and just learn, you know, that's how, how we learn a lot opera a lot is through the recordings because most of us don't live in a place where you can see a lot of opera live. Um, and so I asked him, I was like, you know, you know, about this and about that. And I said, Maestro, did you ever think that you were going to sing Wagner? I mean, you're Spanish and you're known for Italian and your French is, is, is very good and classy, but the, the Wagner stuff is kind of out there, right? He's like, I never, ever thought, I would, I would, I would see myself singing Wagner, but I've made a huge part of my career doing it. There's so many things. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll have to bring you back on just to just to talk shop for an episode. Um, you sure. mentioned you mentioned the Met and Domingo, and it just made me think about you've you've gone, you know, you've done the dream for most of us. You've gone from a university student to a big opera star, and you've sung on some of these huge houses. This in combination with you've mentioned how stressful the business can be, even when you're sure. doing well at it. Have you been able to stop and smell the roses at all and really appreciate, you know, meeting these heroes and, and oh, getting yeah. on these stages? That was uh, that was something like, you know, my my parents and, and, and my my teachers, my mentor, you know, mentors of which, you know, at this point, I've been lucky to have three really um, have always been like, hey, listen don't uh don't don't just remember to stop and smell the roses i mean really just sit there and soak in um what you're doing and where you are because you know for me whether i'm singing in at a college and doing a master class or doing a recital for for this or that or i'm at the met or the paris or opera or scala or wherever i mean i'm giving the same you know what i mean i'm i i'm just you know uh, i give it all everything i got um, at least with my intention now, I'm not going to, you know, not, not physically with my voice, but, but I try and sing as well as I can, even if it's me in the shower by myself, you know, it's just my personality, but I, I definitely have had to kind of, you know, pinch myself a little bit and just be like, wow. Also for me, it happened so fast. And that's what a lot of people that I encounter colleagues and, and other people in the business, they're like, dude, that, that rocket just took off. And it's like, we we knew who you were we knew you were talented but you know three years out of ABA you were everywhere and I didn't come out of ABA being like you know anointed like a lot of other singers have I mean I, while I was at ABA I was like the pickup man I sang everything and nobody else could sing um and that was fine uh but it's always nice to be like celebrated and it wasn't I mean, I didn't do my last year. I never, even to this point, haven't gotten a diploma or a graduation. I, I graduated. I did it. But I don't have the sheet of paper. I don't have the plaster thing. I don't have all that kind of stuff that, um, that a lot of people have. And it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I don't, I don't hold the grudge um, for it. It just was the reality of the situation. If people didn't think that I was necessarily going to be the one um, or one of the ones to shine, well, they're entitled to their opinion. They were wrong. But um, in that way, that's that's my victory. They had the victory at the time. I had the victory now. But I mean, my ego is I don't really care about that. I mean, what I do, what I what I do appreciate is I've been able to to make music at the highest level with, um, you know, some of the best musicians um, in the business on the planet, um, singing things like Le Troyen and Berlioz music and these great Verdi 
And I've done a lot of Carmen and a lot of Bohem, um, a lot of Butterfly. These are pieces I never, ever get tired of um, because the music in particular, also the words, the words are really, really beautiful, especially in Bohem um, and Butterfly. Although my character doesn't get to sing very nice words. Actually, he does, I guess, a little bit in the love duet. But the music of, of, of Puccini is is so amazing. And I look forward to some of the, some of the roles that I'm going to get to do in that, like Lionel Lascaux and, um, and some of the Verdi stuff, you know, getting into Ballo and Trovatore and um, uh, Forza del Destino, things like this that I've waited, um, Aida, Tosca, you know, things that I've waited to sing. Um, unfortunately, that were slated to be during <laughs> this very time. Uh, but, you know, it, the, the COVID is going to pass and it's going to be fine. And my voice is going to be in better shape than ever. And, and more importantly, my head is going to be in better shape um, than ever. And my girls are going to be older, which just makes it easier. Yeah, you know? I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about how this has been almost a blessing in disguise for the people sure. who have been, you know, burning the midnight oil and, and have had no breaks. It's, it's been a time to reflect and and take a step back and take a, a better look at your life and think about things. Yeah, I mean, I, when I when I did that talk for the ABA uh, singers at the beginning, I mean, when I made the list of how many roles I've sung and kept in my repertoire and learned for new ones, and to realize that 28 out of 32 roles that I've sung in the past two years were all new to me since I left ABA. You know, I'm a good musician. Like I said, I went to the arts high school for piano. I learned things pretty quickly. Memorization is still a, is still a challenge for me, especially in these longer, just really wordy, wordy, wordy things. But, you know, it's fine. I learned three roles since this pandemic is down that I've memorized, but I've learned them. I've worked them into my throat. All roles that I have um, contracts to do, Sasson Dalila, Aida, Tall Sky Brushed Up. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, we're trying to do the best that we can to do this. But yeah, no, I really have. I mean, uh, somebody was asking me what were like, you know, say three highlights of my career so far. And I think that's why I ended up watching the Troyan last night or just parts of it because I had never seen it. I mean, I, I, I'm just not, I don't like listening to my recordings too much. And like, I was there, you know what I mean? I was doing it. I lived it. I remember how I felt um, more than how it sounded. Uh, but it was it was fun for me to see it and be like, oh, that actually came off a little bit better than I thought it did. Hmm, nice. I guess I did do a pretty good job at <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Funny enough, I still sometimes don't hear the applause. I mean, I hear it, but it doesn't register. It's kind of just like I, I just want to like, well, thank you guys for coming in. I'm out of here. I'm going to get my I'm ready to go to the bar. I'm ready to go to the restaurant, have a nice meal, hang out with my people that I know and talk about the show and and, and kind of move on with it because yeah. It can be, I mean, it is incredibly consuming. I mean, I wake up in the morning thinking about my voice. I go to sleep thinking about my voice. I don't eat anything without realizing this is going to be good for my throat or bad for my waistline or whatever. And, you know, using crutches like alcohol or food or whatever uh, people use to kind of deal with their stress. Um, it's not, it's just a crutch. What you need to do is heal the wound heal the, yeah. the the issue that's causing you to need a crutch in the first place right. yeah. that's hard work like mm -hmm. physical therapy for your soul for right. your mind right psyche well i'm definitely in the same boat with you on memorization uh that's something yeah. that never came quite naturally and um sure. it always takes a little bit of extra work uh, i have another utility question for you Tell i'm me. trying to adhere to this this new audience i'm trying to build for you now yeah yeah um what is the overhead cost of taking on a new role between the coachings and the travels and stuff like that? If you can, oh, if, you gosh. Can, if you can put an X, a number on it for us. Oh yeah. Ballpark. I, mean, uh, I can ballpark it. I mean, if I off, off the top of my head, you know, you're talking at least five grand to roll, to learn a new role. Um, it just and how does that all, how does that all break down in your experience? It breaks down into the coachings and the lessons and um, stuff like that. I mean, it, you know, this is how when I was when I was learning all those roles, this was my this was my process. Perfect. Right. So I would spend about two weeks getting to know the role well enough to coach it with a pianist. Um, and I use Laurent Philippe. I did uh, while during that time 
I haven't learned a lot of new roles. And so, you know, I haven't seen him in a long time, but so I would, I would spend two weeks on it. I have him come down to New Orleans for a week and we'd work two hours a day. Yeah, more or less two hours a day. And we just work through the whole role. Then I would take a month or two to let that work that we did kind of steep fixing of the, the French or the, or the language. I mean, French is really the one that, that I did a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff in. And Italian is more straightforward um, than French is with the rules and the exception to the rules and stuff like that. I mean, you know, you can record yourself on your iPad or your phone and be like, did I double that or did I not double that? You don't need to pay somebody 150 bucks an hour or $100 an hour, whatever it is. You know, but like, I think Laurent was like about 150 bucks an hour. So I was like, I ended up paying $300 a day for that one week. It was about, you know, 1800 bucks. And then I go, and then I go a month or two to let it steep. And then depending on how hard it was, we do another week for another 15, 1800 bucks um, about just, you know, trying to be off book. And when I'm off book, I mean, I've realized that the, the, the things, the details that, fall between the cracks for me at least happen in the memorization process if i rush it and i don't take the time to make sure that the doubles or the doubles or the rhythms that are dotted or straight or whatever or that's a 16th and not an eighth it's in the memorization pro- um, part of the process that i i lose that stuff and then depending on how well i've done it depends on how hard laurent is going to have to be on me and the thing is is that you know, if he's there correcting vowels and rhythms, when I'm not looking at the score, well, then we're we're losing time, um, that valuable time that can be spent on more of the style and the vocalism and maybe like, oh, your air's not moving through that or you need to do that, you know. Um, and then there's the voice lessons on top of it. I mean, usually it would be hard for me to get to New York, um, but usually Bill would hear at least at least two lessons we would go through. We would just use a lesson to sing through the whole role. Now we wouldn't do everything, but we would spot check the hard parts and the parts that he knew. Let's see, or I would say, listen, this part I'm having trouble with. Can we work on this first or we can do whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, 1800 bucks, 1800 bucks, and then another 500 bucks. You're almost at 5,000 there. Um, and so not everybody has to do it, you know, the way that I would, that I would do it, nor do they have to use a coach that's that expensive. Um, but because of my traveling, it was just easier for me to just coach five, six days in a row, um, have him fly down from Philadelphia. Now I fly up to Philadelphia to either see Bill or to work uh, with Danielle Orlando or Luke Kausner or somebody. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sound Jack has completely changed all this kind of stuff. I can do pretty much, I could do that whole first week of getting to know you with the role. Um, from anywhere in the world, as long as I've got my Ethernet cable and a decent mic. Um, and then things like, you know, the score, the Nico Costell book, um, and then time. It's really time. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest. I mean, the money is, is not insignificant, but the amount of time that it takes to put the text or translate. I mean, I remember the first time I did Cozy, I didn't even know about these Nico Costell books. And I literally translated that with an Italian dictionary and 501 Italian verbs from from college and when i showed up at the rehearsal at aspen and somebody pulls out a nico castell like had a photocopy of it and i was like are you serious like something like this exists let's uh, wrap it up with a bit of advice for young singers and i guess specifically young opera singers there are a lot of people who who kind of don't want to spend time on technique or just kind of whatever they want to be enjoying the singing and emoting and, and doing that. Um, that there, there's a time and a place for that. Um, but if you don't spend the time on the technique and the mechanics, um, then you're not going to ever get to a point to where you can really enjoy it because once the pressure is on, you're going to spend so much. I know so many singers that study that, that, that struggle with um, performance anxiety and performance anxiety can lead to just general anxiety. And then general anxiety can lead to depression and mm-hmm. depression can lead mm-hmm. to all kinds of difficult things. Um, and so really, you know, if you want to have a nice quality of life and a calm inner, you know, life on your, on your side, spend the time for the, to, to really get to know the nuts and bolts of the technique and not just be like, Oh, it's fine. My voice is strong or I'm young or whatever. 
really do yourselves a favor. Read that Louisa Tetrazzini book. It's called The Art of Singing. It's actually a free download from the iBooks store. Um, you can buy it for like seven bucks on Amazon. It's nice to have a hard copy of something like that because I've, I've read it probably 10 times in the past uh, 10 years. Um, and, uh, and get through great singers and great singing and the four voices of man. These were these books that were, were written by Jerome Hines, who was a famous bass. I'm sure a lot of you bassists know who Jerome Hines is. Um, I actually got to hear him sing. He came down and did his Zoroastro when I was in college. Uh, oh, and, wow. uh, he was like in his eighties by that point, but it was impressive to say the <laughs> least. I mean, shoot, like a cannon on the stage. I mean, it's like, is anybody else even singing next to this guy? Um, and, uh, and just get to know the terminology. You don't have to agree with all of it, but you should, it's like studying philosophy. You need to just kind of dot, like dive in and just start getting, like start opening and expanding your mind and opening your eyes and just being like, I might not understand this, but I'm going to keep thinking about it until it starts to congeal. And yeah. once that happens, because technique is such a mystical thing that we cannot see and people say, sing more purple and sing more this, or blah, blah, blah. it's like, you're going to have to kind of invent your own wheel or reinvent it because we kind of already invent the wheel when we learn how to speak and talk just as people, but you have to reinvent that wheel when you learn how to use your voice for singing and specifically opera singing, because it's so, um, it's just so counterintuitive. Um, so that's my tidbit and, and never lose, never lose the joy of making music. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and because, because a lot of us get caught up in that, it becomes just such like a, you know, we're just going to achieve, we're going to achieve and we're just going to take, no, you do need to stop and smell the roses. Like you said, hundred percent, hundred percent. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me and I will, I'll let you know when the new, when the new podcast is going up, it's going to be a little while. I'm in the process of, uh, that's of okay. getting that up that's there. Okay. We got yeah. that much also that's right yeah and i'll have to have you back on and we can just talk talk technique i'll build up a repertoire of questions to, to throw at you anytime buddy <laughs> great thanks all right brian all right. take care <laughs>